What a great, uh, great whole concept of running to the Father. And uh, that's exactly what we had a chance to do every Sunday morning. As we come together and worship, we run to Him. And, and the cool thing is that as we're running to Him, we realize that we don't have very far to run at all because He's right there and He's right here. Today in our text, Paul writes to the church in Rome in chapter 15 of Romans. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's kind of confusing, so we'll dig into that in a little bit. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul reminds us that living like Christ means that we strive to follow his example, especially in how we treat other people. And it doesn't matter who they are. Right? We who, who worship this way, in the dark, with the lights and the smoke and the haze and the drums, don't look down upon those across the way who worship with an organ and with choirs and with handbells, and vice versa. Right, it's always kind of interesting to me because I have the joy of serving in both places that sometimes when I'm over there and they ask me if I'm going to be at 11 o'clock or the nightclub church, I say, <laughs> well, I guess I'm going clubbing this morning. <laughs> but that we also don't roll our eyes over how worship happens over in the sanctuary. St. Luke's is one of those really rare places that, that does both types of worship really, really well. And that's a cool thing. So how we think about one another. But what about, you know, how we think about other Lutherans? I spent some time this past week at the Fort Wayne Seminary. I myself am a St. Louis Seminary guy. And it's interesting how we kind of pit each other against one another based on practices, based on not theology, because our theology is the same, but how we practice and carry that theology out is very different. And and it's interesting, I stuck out like a sore thumb at the Fort Wayne Seminary. But how do we treat other Christians? What about those crazy Baptists down the street? Or those non-denominational guys? How do we deal with them? How do we deal with, how do we deal with our neighbors who aren't Christian? How do we deal with people who believe differently than we do? How do we interact with them? How do we express love to those that we disagree with? How do we express love to those who attack us? Paul's letter to the church in Rome today especially deals with how do we interact with two groups of people precisely. One, how do we interact with brothers? And that's Paul's way of saying fellow Christians. And then how do we react and respond to our neighbors? And whenever 
the New Testament speaks of the neighbors, it's not like everybody's my neighbor, it's those who don't believe, right? Those are our neighbors. So how do we engage in, and show love with those that are also Christian, regardless of denomination, but also how do we live in such a way that lives a good example that the people who don't believe in Jesus would see the lifestyle that we live and go, that's something that I could want for myself. That's what the gist of this message today comes from. And as, as Paul is, is exhorting us to, to treat everybody, believers and non-believers, in love and live a good example, a Christ-like example, he says, this is hard, right? This is hard to do. And that's why we don't do it very well all of the time. Some of the time, sure, but all of the time? It's hard and it wears on us. It's exhausting sometimes. And so Paul says, I want you to immerse yourself in the Word of God. Because when you do, you're going to receive two things. You're going to receive, you're going to receive this thing called endurance. Endurance is what allows you to persevere through difficult things and be, and be faithful. And you're going to receive encouragement. And encouragement is, is a word that I think we say without realizing exactly what it means. And sometimes we say encouragement like, good job, buddy. I'm encouraging you. But think about if you break down those words, it really has courage at the middle of it. And courage is not courage unless there's something to be afraid of, something that petrifies you, something that freezes you in place. And encouragement is the, in, in, the infusing of courage into you to move you into action. That when you listen and when you infuse God's Word into your life, not only do you receive endurance, but you receive encouragement to push through the things that ordinarily would freeze you in fear, to push you into movement, to push you into action, specifically in this case, to push you into love. The brothers and sisters in faith and your neighbors who don't believe. And that's really the heart of Paul's message in this portion of this chapter. There's this huge call to get and let the Word of God saturate you, to be soaked by the Spirit of God. That is Paul's desire. That's my desire for you. That's God's desire for you. And that happens when you crack that book, the book of all books, when you open the pages of Scripture and let it live and breathe inside of you because you receive endurance. And Paul loves to speak of this endurance and perseverance concept that we are able to rejoice in these moments that we have to persevere and endure through difficulties and, and stay steadfast through hardships. Because when you do, when you persevere through these hardships and struggles, you develop character. And this character produces hope. And that hope never disappoints. And, and hope is such a, such a powerful thing. In the recovery world, hope is incredibly critical for somebody who is struggling to maintain or achieve sobriety because it's something that, that addiction has just wrapped control over them. They no longer have control over their actions, their decisions. It's taken control. 
And so it's so very difficult to have hope that change is possible. In fact, maybe you even said people never change. And that kind of word is just a dagger into an addict's heart because they are struggling, starving for change. And so when somebody in recovery shares a story of hope, a story of success, a story of victory over addiction, that story, that powerful story and the powerful words of that story bloom hope in their heart that maybe if change is possible for that person, then change is possible for this person. And hope is something that you hang on to that allows you to persevere and it gives you endurance and it gives you encouragement. But addicts aren't the only ones who need hope, are they? There's people in this room today who desperately need hope to know that this is not as good as life gets. To the struggles that we have right now, today, aren't the end of the story. That there's more chapters to be written that have encouragement, that have joy, that have peace. We all need that hope. And that hope that we have, not just in today, but also in the life everlasting. We need that hope as Christians to hang on, to say, I can do what Jesus is calling me to do because I know what's coming down the road. We need that hope. We need that encouragement that gives us courage to move through our fears, that gives us endurance to last through the struggles and the difficulties that we're facing. Now, Paul says, if you want, if you want endurance... If you want encouragement, it's easy. It's free. (laughs) Crack a book, the book. Open the pages of your Bible and dig in. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. Now, now maybe some of you are sitting there and thinking, boy, I don't don't even know where my Bible is. (laughs) I think I I can get a Bible app. And you can. It's called Bible. Or Bible Gateway, that's another good one. Or Portals of Prayer, start there. The point is start someplace, right? I don't want you leaving today thinking, well, Pastor Tig said I'm going to hell because I don't read my Bible at all. That's not what I'm saying. God doesn't ask you to do this because it's something that's mandatory that you have to do. He's asking you to do this because it's what he does through that Bible that works incredible power into your everyday life. Not just your life insurance policy of salvation, but your life today policy of sustaining you with encouragement and with endurance. So if you already do a five-minute devotional every day, then my challenge to you is do something more. Read a a chapter of Scripture. And if you are already reading a chapter of Scripture, then read that chapter of Scripture and think about it throughout your day. Ask yourself questions. Write those questions down and talk to another fellow believer about those questions and have a faith dialogue. Continue to grow in how much you soak in the Word of God for two reasons. Number one, when you read the Word of God, you will read His promises over and over and over again, reinforcing them, giving you encouragement, giving you endurance to go, I know these things. I'm learning these things. I'm reminding myself of these amazing promises that God gives me. I can do today. But there's a second, more powerful reason to do this. 
Because you see, this is not just some really good book that's true. This is not just some book of facts of spiritual development and growth. This is the Word of your God. And the Word of God has incredible, enormous, mind-blowing power. And the Holy Spirit promises to work through those words, those uncommon, unordinary, spiritual, divine words to bring these changes and these blessings into your life. Soak in that Word. Savor that Word. This isn't a have-to thing you got to do to be a disciple. This is a gift from God given to you, laid at your feet. That not only is it the knowledge for your salvation, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit working through it. Now, when you are saturated by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, You're receiving endurance for all the difficulties that you're going to face. You're receiving encouragement to move through the fears that are standing in your way. Then, then you have the capacity to love like you've never loved before. To love these two groups of people, these these groups of, of brothers and sisters in faith, and also with your neighbor. Now, we deal with these two different groups in different ways. Paul, in his letter to to the Romans today, says that when we're dealing with our brothers and sisters, we who are strong should bear with those who are weak. So he divides us as believers into two groups, strong and the weak. Now, what I don't want you to do is go, I'm strong. I shall bear with the weak. I am here for the weak. Because chances are, if you think you're strong, you're the weak. Because <laughs> the truly weak know they're weak. It's the ones who are inflated with pride over how much they know and how much they've done, and that pride ends up making you weak. But it's those who are weak who God makes strong, right? God reverses things all the time. He loves to do that. And he says, those who are strong, I want you to bear with the weak. So how do you know? How do you know, am I strong or am I weak? Right? And it's, it's all a spectrum kind of situation, right? Because maybe you're strong compared to this person, but weak compared to that person. That's okay. What God is saying is not, boy, the weak get to go to heaven and the hell with those, or the weak or the strong. You know, he doesn't say that. This is not a salvation thing. Strong or weak, you're still a disciple. Do you hear that? Strong or weak, you're still a disciple. You're a brother or sister in the family of God. Now, here's how you know which one you are. Now that we set salvation to the side because you're all already there, let's talk about the weak and the strong. The the strong, how, how we describe a strong disciple here is somebody who lives a transformed life of freedom that you remember your baptism of who you are as a son or a daughter of God. And you remember that, that that is what gives you value. That is what gives you purpose and meaning and strength. That you live a transformed life of joy, that you don't suffer through this world. But even when, when difficulties come, you rejoice in those difficulties because in that, in that difficulty comes endurance and comes character and comes hope. You live a transformed life of sacrifice. 
You don't just serve out of convenience or ease or abundance, but you sacrifice your lifestyle for the sake of somebody else's lifestyle. Because God wants you to experience this joy that comes in a sacrificial, generous type of life that he already knows because he's been generously sacrificial for us. And you live this transformed life of, of renewal that you can look back on how you used to be and say, God has transformed me from that point to this point. I can't wait to see what God is going to transform from this point into eternity. What will that look like? And you celebrate that. You celebrate the grace that God pours into your life, and you celebrate that grace by pouring it back out into the world around you and not harboring resentments or holding grudges, but you let it go. That's the strong what about the weak? Well, the weak are those who <laughs> the weak are those who, instead of recognizing their identity in Christ, they, they build their own kingdom. But in building their own kingdom, they constantly worry and fret over whether or not theirs is enough. And the person who is locked in this life of, of worry and anxiety of what other people think and, and our idea of success who walks through life not in joy but in misery and grumbling and complaining, who seeks to build up their own, they're so selfish and self-accumulating that sacrifice, that's for somebody else. And they don't live a life of renewal. They stay the same. They get stuck in that rut, and they never want to change. Well, that's kind of, all kind of theoretical. Let me make it more practical. For those who consider yourself leaders in the church, maybe you've got a leadership position or you are somebody who is a very, very engaged volunteer or you, you are a worker here at St. Luke's, let me talk to you for a second. One who is strong in the faith looks at the ministries that we're doing and recognizing that we're not doing it for me, and we're not doing it for you. We're doing it for the people who aren't here yet. And if that means that we do things that make us a little bit uncomfortable or stretch us outside of what we would prefer in order to make this place more hospitable and welcoming to those who aren't here right now. See, the strong in faith while we love and appreciate those who are here, has a heart for those who aren't. And a leader who has a strong faith is asking the questions, what do we need to do to make this place more welcoming to those who aren't here? Now, I'm not saying that we change our theology, but maybe we change other things. This next example hits me right in the heart, and, and, and it shows me that I'm on the weaker side of where I would like to be. It's a question of, of residence. Where do you live? Because somebody who is just sold out for this cause of Christianity, who is sold out for this great commission, maybe is... is, is wealthy enough to live someplace else but chooses to live in a place that's depressed economically and devotes their resources to building up a neighborhood that's 
impoverished or struggling with some social issue because they want to make a difference where they live in their neighborhood. And this one, this, like I said, this impacts me because I, I, when we moved to Orlando, it was important to me that we live someplace safe, that we live someplace that has a good school, that we live someplace in a, in a house where people would come to and go, oh, wow, Tyga's really made it. That my, my family, when they come and visit, they would go, huh, he's done okay for himself. Because that's where my heart is. And that's an area where I need to grow. No, don't worry, Sarah, I'm not suggesting we go to realtor.com and start looking for a new place. Are we sold out? I think we all have room to grow, don't we? We all have areas where we could get stronger in this, and that strength, that doesn't come from our own doing, it doesn't come from our efforts, it comes from spending more and more time soaked in the Spirit and in the Word of God. The more times we have this ability to look at our, our brothers and sisters in faith and say, how can, I, how can I endure with those who are weaker than me? How can I be encouraging? How do we not look at all the differences that we have as different denominations and fight and struggle against each other? Instead, how do we just say, do you believe in Jesus? So do I. Let's go, let's go conquer this city for him. Let's make a difference in this community for him. Let's celebrate what we have that unifies us instead of what divides us. And then for the neighbors, right? The neighbors, we're not supposed to bear with the neighbors, but instead we're supposed to, Paul says, build them up, to build up our neighbors. And this gets back to that sacrificial living piece, right? Do we do we look to those who don't believe what we believe? Do we look to those who, who think differently than we do religiously or look to those who, who, who live a lifestyle sexually that's, that's opposed to what we think and what we believe? How do we love them? How do we live out this example of Jesus' sacrificial love for them? How do we live that out? Right? How can we look somebody in the eye that we disagree with and say, you know, I think we believe different things about X, Y, or Z, but I love you. You matter to me. You matter to God. How do we have those conversations and grow in those? Well, we, we, we soak ourselves in the Spirit. We receive endurance to do the difficult things. We receive encouragement to move through the fears. We build them up. We build them up. And maybe those people are living in your home, and maybe those people are in your neighborhoods, but those neighbors, those people who, who don't know and love Jesus the way you do, how do we build them up instead of tear them down or mock them or humiliate them or push them away? How do we welcome them? That's the word Paul uses in the text today. How do we welcome them? And this is an this is amazing, amazing word that infers so much more than just, well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's, it's making somebody feel like they are at home. Have you ever been to somebody's house where you could tell you weren't welcome? <laughs> That's how I felt at Fort Wayne Seminary this week. I was like, I am not welcome. They might as well have just brought me in and said, you're not welcome for being here. 
right? Sometimes you've been in a room like that. Maybe you feel like that today. Contrast that to some place that you've been and you felt totally hosted. Like you were not just a part of the family, you were better than the family. I had this really cool experience a handful of years ago. Um, after my mom passed away, a few, a few years later, my, my dad met a wonderful woman, got remarried, and, uh, and this woman had a granddaughter, follow me, my dad's wife's granddaughter got married, and of course we were invited to the wedding. This wedding was in Manhattan, Kansas, where my dad currently lives, and at, at Manhattan, it's, a, it's the home of Kansas State University, who just, by the way, just beat UCF. That was fantastic. And right there, I've alienated 90% of my listeners. <laughs> what was the score, Nikki? Oh, we won. I went to West So we, can, we go to this wedding, right? And, and the, the bride's father, my stepbrother, he's like a who's who muckety-muck in Manhattan. And so everybody who's everybody is at this wedding. And, uh, and you've, got, you've got coaches and presidents of, of the school and, and regents and, and, uh, and governors and mayor and like they're just Heisman candidates all in this room. Right? Remember that whole wedding parable where Jesus is talking about where you sit down at the, at the head of the table and you get embarrassed because you're not that important so you get moved back? But it's way better to like sit in the back and then get moved forward because the host thinks you're more important than you do. It was one of those situations where we walk into, we are like nobody. We, we have just been family like for, I don't know, a hot minute. And we're looking for our table and they're like, no, 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 you're at the head table. I'm passing football coaches and Heisman candidates and politicians to sit at the family's table. That was welcoming. When you're treated better than family. That's how we're supposed to treat our neighbors, those who don't agree with what we believe, to treat them even better than our own family. How in the world do we do that? Well, you get soaked in the Holy Spirit by spending time being immersed in God's Word so that you're filled with encouragement and filled with endurance. We live out this example. How do we do this? Why do we do this? What empowers us to do this is Christ's example for us. Right? He, as a Paul wrote kind of confusingly, he takes on all the reproach of the world unto himself. Reproachment, that's uh, when somebody treats you worse than you deserve. And so what Paul is saying is when someone treats you worse than you deserve, I want you to remember that they're actually treating Christ worse than they deserve. And every time you've fallen short in not hosting somebody well, you've treated Christ worse than he deserved. And he took that to the cross and he paid it in full willingly. Scripture says he considered it pure joy to do that. Our shortcomings, our failings, Christ paid for and he considered it joy. Not happy, not carefree, but joy. So that we could do the same. 
that we encounter brothers and sisters, we can, we can bear with those who are weaker than us when we come in contact with our neighbors, that we build them up. This week in our weekly awakening question, I've, I want you to struggle with something. I want you to wrestle with this topic. You can write this down. Here's the weekly awakening question on the screen right now. How does Jesus' example, his example of being sacrificial, of, of taking reproach, taking the blame for all the things that we've done, how does his example give us endurance and encouragement to welcome others, to welcome others, either our brothers and sisters that we bear with or those neighbors that we build up? How does Jesus' example give you endurance and encouragement to welcome others? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are and what you do continually in our lives. Move each and every one of us to grow in our time spent in your word, not out of mandate or out of compulsion or out of guilt or shame, but out of joy that we get to spend time as we open those pages that you live and breathe your word into our souls. And as we are reminded by those amazing promises of yours, we're also filled with your Holy Spirit as you work in the way that you promised to through those words and fill us with endurance, fill us with encouragement, fill us with your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.